This is True Crime Exposed, and I'm your host, Kayla Waters. Thanks for joining my co-host, Alicia Jenkins, every week as I detail a new case for you. We created this show to advocate for victims, to tell their life story, and by doing that, we can expose the monsters lurking all around us. Welcome back, everybody. Thank you, thank you, thank you for your patience. I am sure you are so annoyed of me because I haven't put out an episode in weeks. I definitely bit off more than I could chew by covering the Lori Daybell trial, but I also just couldn't not go to that trial. And once I went on the first day, it was my mistake because I couldn't decide how I was going to cover the trial. I thought maybe I would just put some bonus episodes here on True Crime Exposed for everybody. But then when I went on the first day, I realized there was way too much information for me to not do a second podcast. So because I did that so last minute, it really threw me for a loop and I totally just, I bailed on you guys and I did not mean to do that. I'm so sorry. Again, thank you for having patience with me. Hopefully, if you were missing our episodes, you were able to hop on over to my now second podcast, It Ends in Idaho, and listen to The Trial of Lori Daybell. I'm mortified that I was MIA from here for so long, but you guys are amazing. And, you know, we're back. We're back at it. I'm not going to do that to you again. Even on other seasons of It Ends in Idaho, I have now created a better plan and I'm going into those, you know, with a plan, unlike this last one. And I will not bail out on you guys again. As for today's episode, we are talking about the disappearance of a first grade girl. There are a lot of theories about this case, but is there truth behind any of them? With that, are you ready for today's case? Long time no see. We have not done this for a long time. That is true. I got way too overwhelmed with that Lori Daybell trial. Oh my gosh. It was good though. I bit... It, it was so good. I definitely bit off more than I could chew. It was my mistake by not making the decision to do something with it until I went to the first day of trial. Like I should have planned that out before, but I couldn't decide what I was going to do. <laughs> so um, anyway, now we are back. We are still doing episodes. Yeah. And um, yeah. everyone so probably we'll get... thought we fell off the face Quit. of the earth. <laughs> They're like, they're done doing this podcast. (laughs) They moved on to the other one. Yeah, no. Uh, That one is, that trial's over now. She was thankfully convicted. Yay. Hallelujah. On all charges. I think she'll get sentenced in a few months and then she's going to trial. I saw even, I sent you for Charles Vallow, but she's even going to trial for the attempted murder of Brandon. Oh, I heard that. Yep. Which then you wonder if her niece will too. Oh, I know. They all should. I bet she's freaking out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They all should get something. I feel like everyone should get charged something. Yeah. 
especially in Charles' death, because they totally knew. But Don't let him get away with it. No, definitely. So if you didn't hear all the details in that trial, you can go listen to my other podcast. <laughs> it ends in Idaho. But for today, we'll get back into episodes here. So on Friday, May 3rd, 2002, Laurent Bourgeois walked his stepdaughter, Alexis Patterson, to High Mount Boulevard Elementary School in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. They arrive at the school by 8 a.m. and Laurent watches seven-year-old Alexis walk towards the playground onto the school property where she would normally play before the bell rings and students rushed inside to their classrooms. Alexis had her pink Barbie book bag in tow and she would take this every day with her to her first grade class. She had perfect attendance and she loves school. Her family and friends would call her nicknames like Lexi or Pie. Laurent returned home after dropping his stepdaughter off. He just lived a block away from the elementary school with Alexis's mom, Ayana, Alexis, and Alexis's new little sister, Desoni. As for Alexis's dad, Kenya Campbell, he was incarcerated there in Milwaukee at this time. He was arrested a couple months earlier in March of 2002 for repeatedly driving without a license. Now, although Laurent had dropped Alexis off at the school, it turns out she never made it inside because she was absent from class that day. However, her parents were not notified about this absence until the end of the school day. So they had sat at home waiting for Alexis to return. Again, they live just one block away. She's supposed to walk home. But when one hour passes by after school and there's no sign of Alexis returning home, the family starts to worry. They call the police by 6 p.m. to report that their daughter never made it home from school. The school had told them, well, it's not that she never made it home to school. She never came to school. And then they're confused because Laurent says he walked her there to school. So the community comes down hard on school officials, reprimanding them for not contacting the parents earlier in the day to confirm Alexis's absence. Well, to be fair, like our school doesn't notify us of absences till the evening. They don't? No. Ours does. In the morning? Mm-hmm. Like if Charlie's not at school, they usually call me by 10 or 11 a.m. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. Our ours calls gives us an automated call about five p.m. Okay, so this same thing would happen to you if your kid wasn't <laughs> at school and you thought they were. Yeah, but I guess their policy at the time was to not notify family until after the second absence. So that'd be like two days of the kid being gone. I mean, you would think the family would notice by then, but yeah. The community just wanted a little bit of change in this policy now that Alexis went missing and there's like a whole seven hours where they could have been looking. Makes sense. Yeah. So even Lena Ramirez spoke out and she's the mother of Alexis's half sister. And she said, quote, it makes me angry that this being a neighborhood school and all that they just wouldn't send someone a block over to knock on the door and check on Lexi. Which I like get what she's saying because Alexis is literally missing. But also, like, if someone from the school actually knocked on my door, I would be pissed if Charlie was home from school sick or something. (laughs) Well, yeah, I just, I don't feel like schools do that. No, but. It's like there's kids that are always sick or sleep in or. Yeah. You know, their parents don't make them go to school that day. 
And then if you got a knock on your door, that would be kind of embarrassing. You're like, hello, my kid's not coming. I know. But I do understand that they like want this need for like calling a little bit earlier, which again, they do in Charlie's school. So it is possible to at least make a call. Yeah. So the superintendent at that time, Spence Court, he defended the school's policy of only making contact with the parents about the absence once, you know, two days had passed. And he said there was way too many absences in the Milwaukee schools. He said, quote, while I can understand the absolute terror of her parents, it doesn't necessarily lead us to conversations about the policy and whether it needs changing or fixing. So the superintendent had previously been the principal at Highmount Boulevard School for over a decade. But following this backlash, he does retire, which, yeah. So he just kind of goes out. I mean, it's not the school's fault. No, it's not the school's fault. But I also think like he doesn't have to say it doesn't lead us to conversations about policy change. It's like, I mean, you could have the conversation and see if it's needed true but it's like well why don't you go check to make sure your kid's in class (laughs) a couple hours into school because you don't really have the resources to do that yeah Uh, and I mean he is saying there's a ton of you know what I mean absences and I don't know how many absences there are but it does seem like they did end up changing the policy after a school board meeting yeah that that's good yeah so they do end up changing it He retires probably because he just doesn't want to deal with all the backlash from it. But with this policy in place and because Alexis never made it inside that morning, they just had a long time where they didn't know she was missing. But according to some classmates, they thought they witnessed Alexis crying on the playground, both before school and later on in the day. Other kids that attended this school recall a red truck that had been seen at the school all week. And this truck was never seen dropping off a child or picking one up. And then after Alexis went missing, no one reported seeing this truck near the school again. There's another strange vehicle sighting of a dark blue SUV that was seen the day of the disappearance speeding away from the area Alexis was last seen. So like as far as kids seeing her on the school ground playing, I'm not sure. Like because she's in first grade. So did they see her on that day crying on the playground? Did they not see her? Was she there that morning? Was she really on the playground later that day? What was she doing just sitting outside and not going to school? That doesn't fully make sense to me. I would think the kids were probably just confused, but I don't know. Yeah, you can't really rely on too much on six and seven year olds yeah (laughs) to know like the timing of when they saw somebody out on the playground so yeah the thing with Cassie's school too is I always get called but she was in class what do you mean like 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 her teachers won't mark her there but she's there so do you have them check well no because I don't know till later in the evening and then I was like did you miss class and she's like oh no I was there like I ran to the bathroom and then came in mm-hmm. a little, you know, and they probably just didn't mark me there. Yeah, I would like panic a little. But I guess if you you wouldn't panic if you got it that night because then she's home and you know she is fine. She was at school. Yeah. <laughs> so there is something else strange that is reported two weeks before Alexis went missing. 
Parents with kids attending this school receive a letter about a man who had come onto school property with intentions to abduct a young boy. So the parents were already on edge, including Ayana, who had a talk with Alexis detailing like stranger danger. Which, yeah, I probably wouldn't even send my kid to school (laughs) if I got that letter. Yeah. Like, what do you mean there was a guy that came onto the property to abduct a young boy? What did they do? Like, what? I don't know. They must have, like, stopped it. I'm assuming it was during recess or, like, before or after school. Yeah. Just so crazy. But they actually got this letter saying that. So, you know... Ayana lets Alexis know, like, don't talk to people that you don't know. They're at school. And then on top of this, just one week before the disappearance, school officials saw Alexis speaking with an unknown woman on school property. They inform Ayana, and she has another talk with her daughter about being weary of strangers. Now, that woman was seen again at the school a couple days later. She was again trying to talk to Alexis. And this woman was never found during the investigation. Her identity still remains unknown. Super. So that's weird. weird. So you have like this maybe attempted abduction of a young boy. And then a week later, you have some random lady talking to your daughter a couple times on the school ground. There's just so many questions like... Did you catch the guy? Did you get him? Did you get his name? I know. <laughs> did he go to jail? Same it, with the lady. He... Like, who was it? Who was she talking to? Did you get her name? Yeah. Where did was she from? School property. Doesn't sound like it. It sounds almost like these weird incidents kind of happened. They noted them. They let the parents know. But that's kind of as far as the information goes. And it seems like women would be like more accepted yeah. Like just random women would be more accepted going to schools and Probably. just randomly talking to kids, which is wrong. Right. But it would like, be more like, oh, maybe they're a mom. Um, exactly. You know, you don't know every single parent, but the school officials obviously noted that like this person did not belong because they told Ayana's mom like this was a weird thing that happened. <laughs> That's weird. Yeah, it's super weird. So all of this, like the kids talking about Alexis crying on the playground that day, that brought authorities and Ayana to believe that Alexis maybe did refuse to go inside and attend classes. According to Ayana, she had gotten into an argument that morning with her daughter. And it's because the night before, Alexis did not finish her homework. For some reason, she was planning to bring cupcakes to her class that next day, the day that she went missing, but Ayana didn't allow her to since Alexis did not do her homework. And I'm not sure why she was bringing cupcakes to school. I wondered if it was maybe for her birthday. That's usually when you bring the other kids treats. But this was May 3rd and Alexis was born April 4th, 1995. So... I'm not sure why, but she wanted to bring the cupcakes. Her mom wouldn't let her, and she was pretty upset. And Laurent says she was still upset as they walked to school. So after Alexis went missing, Ayana made a statement saying, quote, Whoever has my child, I'm sorry you have a problem. I'm sorry you are sick, but God can forgive you. Lexi can forgive you, and I can forgive you. I just want my baby back. 
So searches were conducted immediately after reporting Alexis missing to the authorities. A large group of family and friends searched the streets near the school, while police searched Washington Park, which was nearby, and divers even searched this lagoon that's close by. Police did helicopter searches, dive searches, water searches by boat. They did ground searches by foot and by horse. So resources were poured into finding Alexis. There were also flyers handed out. Searchers wore badges with contact information. And the search for this missing seven-year-old girl was expansive. More locations nearby were searched, including Vine Street, 16th Street, and 60th Street there in Milwaukee, but nothing is found. Detective Steve Spingola, who was with the Milwaukee police at the time, said, quote, That investigation was unparalleled as far as the number of people, the amount of people, the man hours that went into it. They were putting a lot into finding Alexis, but nothing was coming up. According to Medium.com, in the first days of the search, a call is made to the police, saying that this person thought a girl might be being held in a warehouse. This caller reports hearing a child scream out, Mama, help me. Now, this warehouse was located on 32nd Street in Atkinson in Milwaukee. And oddly, a family member of Alexis had also been anonymously called this same day and told that Alexis was in that abandoned warehouse. So police obviously go and check it, but nothing was found. Hmm. But that's kind of odd to get a call to the police and to the family. Could it have been the same person doing like a hoax? Yes, because people suck. But if it's not... That's weird for the family member to get a call saying Alexis is in this warehouse and then the police get a call from someone else, if that's the case, saying, I heard a little girl in this warehouse. That just doesn't seem like a coincidence. No, it doesn't. But the lead ends up being a dead end because they can't find anything. So 11 days pass with no information on what happened to Alexis Patterson. By May 14, 2002, her cases changed from a missing child's case to a criminal investigation. Kenya Campbell, Alexis's biological dad, was released from prison soon after his daughter's disappearance. He worked with authorities, but obviously was not much help because he was incarcerated when she went missing. Kenya was later arrested on November 22, 2013, after his mom took his eight-month-old daughter to the hospital. So this is years later. This is just kind of some information on Alexis's dad. So Kenya had told his mom that the baby fell off the couch and split her lip. But it was discovered at the hospital that the baby suffered severe head trauma, a broken jaw, a lacerated liver, a hemorrhage, a fractured rib, and large bruises. The little girl lived, but she lost control of the left side of her body. She lost some of her vision, and Kenya was charged with three counts of felony child abuse and one count of child neglect. This came after a long history of criminal drug charges. He pled guilty to two of the felony child abuse charges and received an 18-year prison sentence and 10 years of supervision following the sentence, which included no contact with his daughter, even in her adult years. So that's um, Alexis's dad. Oh, Doesn't sound like he was super involved. Yeah, I was going to say that's good. He was incarcerated. Yeah. 
So that would be like Alexis's half sister, which is so sad. And just, I mean, it has nothing to do with Alexis's case because it's years later, like 11 years later, but it just shows that she maybe didn't have like the best male role models in her life. Mm-hmm. The police, they did work more with her stepdad anyway, Laurent. And it's noted that he had a criminal history of his own. However, police do rule him out in those early days, even after he failed a polygraph on May 8th, 2002. Ayana had passed a polygraph given to her around the same time. However, police do note that a lot of questions given in Laurent's polygraph related to his criminal background. It turns out he was the getaway driver in a 1994 bank robbery on October 28th. A Glendale police officer was murdered during this robbery. His name was Ronald Headbaney. I don't know how to say that last name. Headbaney. And Laurent actually received immunity in this case in exchange for his testimony against the other defendants. So just another odd little side fact in this case and could explain why Laurent failed his polygraph if questions relating to that case were asked. But again, doesn't sound like great male role models are in Alexis's life. No. Just a year after Alexis disappeared in 2003, Laurent and Ayana had gotten into an argument as Ayana was trying to leave the relationship. Apparently, she had been trying to leave for some time as she claimed he was abusive. That night, someone had paged Ayana and Laurent wanted to know who it was. So this domestic dispute, along with another one week later, led to criminal charges being brought against Laurent on April 9th, 2003 for disorderly conduct. But the charges are later dropped. Ayana had also accused Laurent of, quote, pimping women. And it was rumored around Milwaukee at that time that Laurent had sold Alexis. But that's never been proven. So there is suspicion oh. of him. Yeah. Because he does. He was accused of doing that. But I'll mention a little later that he he makes a YouTube video years later kind of talking about how he did do those things. Not specifically mentioning Alexis, but how he did, quote, pimp women. Okay. <laughs> yeah, so... Very odd. And people did think he maybe had something to do with this. So the couple, Laurent and Ayana, they did separate and they both move away from the Milwaukee area. Within the week of Alexis going missing, a search party of over 100 volunteers had formed. They were continuing that search for Alexis. Many of them wore shirts that read Operation LAP, Locate Alexis Patterson. By November of 2002, the group disbanded after multiple searches were conducted, turning up nothing. The months following Ayana's disappearance seemed to drag on as no leads were turning anything up. Now, a really disgusting thing done, done in this case is just a couple of weeks after Alexis goes missing, some a-hole decides to print out a bunch of racist flyers about this little girl's disappearance, and they post these flyers outside the Black Holocaust Museum and along that street, as well as putting them onto parked cars. Now, Brian T. Werner turned himself in for this on May 29th after police had contacted him with suspicion. 
And in his car, once he turned himself in, they discovered more flyers alongside a Nazi flag. So police already knew of this Brian guy and his Nazi ideologies. I think that's why they even contacted him in the first place once these flyers were put out. But super weird. Yeah. Like dangerous ideologies to have. But Brian was ultimately released with no charges. And the Milwaukee police stated that although his flyers were concerning, they didn't believe he was connected to the disappearance of Alexis. So just a month after Alexis disappeared, Elizabeth Smart was kidnapped out of her home in Utah. Her case swept the nation and Alexis's name drifted to the back of people's minds. Police Chief Jones stated in an interview, There is still information that comes in daily about the case, but most of it doesn't lead anywhere. Every day there's something new, but it's more nuances than something that's going to give us some real direction. Obviously, we follow up on every lead. We have some theories, but after having said all of that, there's nothing new. Alexis was absolutely treated different than other missing girls. There's no question in my mind that there's a racial bias. It certainly is true here in Milwaukee, at every level, from the electronic media to the print media. So basically, her her case was really, I think, in the media law, and there were like a ton of resources poured into it in that first month, but then it just dies down really quickly. Kind of fizzled out. Yeah. Especially as, like, Elizabeth Smart went missing. Everyone was talking about that. Then I'm sure when she's found nine months later, that's huge in the news, too. That was from my hometown. I know. I know. I, that, I mean, it is a crazy story. And so, you know, it just took over in the media. So then in August of 2002, three months after Alexis was last seen, someone called into a TV station in Milwaukee. This call was anonymous, and the caller claimed that Alexis Patterson's remains were disposed of in the Milwaukee River near Estabrook Park. The station immediately notifies the authorities who conduct searches via dive teams in the area, but nothing connected to Alexis was discovered. The following month, in September of 2002, authorities announced that they believed there was foul play involved in the disappearance. Milwaukee Police Chief Arthur Jones said at this time he believed Alexis Patterson was dead. Years pass by and the case turns cold. In 2005, the case resurfaces for a moment after a prisoner out of state gives authorities a tip. This led them to search a vacant house in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, but the lead turned out to be a dead end. In 2011, Ayana holds a Sweet 16 celebration for her missing daughter. 14 years after Alexis disappeared, it's reported that authorities were trying to determine if a woman living in Bryan, Ohio could be Alexis. So a man had come forward saying that he believed his wife was Alexis Patterson because she could not remember anything about her young childhood. Police went as far as testing this woman's DNA and they determined that this was not the missing girl. However, Alexis's mom, Ayana, still believed that this was her daughter and she asked for additional DNA testing. WISN reported that Ayana said, quote, I just want the world to be awakened and know that I found my daughter. 
Believe what I say when I say my baby is still alive. That's what I want the community to do. So that's like kind of sad. I know. Because it's like she really believes that this is her daughter, at least back then. I'm not sure where she's at, like with it all in 2023. But this was around like 2019. Why did she think it was her daughter? She just like talked with this girl and just fully believed it. I guess she thinks she knows who her daughter is. It looks like her. Like she just thinks it's her, which oh. like maybe it's kind of a protection of herself. Like she has to believe this is her because otherwise she still doesn't know what's happened. I mean, and I guess it possibly could be. It, she questions the chain of custody in the DNA, which I I guess there has been mistakes made before. Like you never know. But well, it's like, well, do it again. Yeah. And that's she has asked for more DNA tests, but they didn't do any more. So, you know, that's kind of just left hanging there. I mean, as for Ayana, like she said, at that time, she really fully believed it. And she just wanted the community to know, like, I found her. So whether you guys think I did or not, I found her. Does the girl talk like keep in contact with her? I'm not sure. There's not like a ton of information on it. They don't like release her name in the media just to keep her private. Because how old would she be now? Like if it was 14 years later? She was born in 1995. So she'd be um, 28. Your age. Yeah. Yeah. And well, she must not believe it or she'd be like, oh, yeah, we we can do my DNA again. If Well, I think the daughter was... This girl, the daughter, the person who Ayana believes is her daughter, is willing to do it. I believe they still stay in contact or at least did at that time. Huh. But. Weird. You know, like I it's said. Not, it's, I don't think it's her. I don't either because, you know, DNA, I I do think unless there were mistakes made and there was. But like, I mean, it's not hard now to do it over again. No. Like pay the 200 bucks and get your ancestry DNA. Yeah, I was going to say they could even do it themselves. Yeah. And we haven't heard anything about that. So I would assume, sadly, I hate to say it because the mom thinks that it is her or at least did, but I'm with you. Like, I do not believe this is Alexis. I do understand that the mom, Ayana, is probably just like grasping onto anything. Oh, yeah. She can to keep her hopes up. And that's very sad. There's one other strange connection to this case, and that is serial killer Israel Keys, which do you know? I'm sure you've heard of him. Know who he is? Uh-uh. You don't? I don't think so. He's like a big serial killer, um, terrifying killer who traveled around the country killing multiple victims. He planned very extensively. He would hide and bury kill kits all over the United States. Like he would bury buckets of like rope and like weapons and stuff. And then he would travel back. He chose his victims at random so that he wasn't traced easily, but he also planned it very extensively. So the area was going to be done in like he really planned this. Okay. How do people get like that? I know. It is so weird. 
he ended up, the reason I know that I've heard of him a bunch is because he ended up kidnapping a girl out of a coffee hut in Anchorage, Alaska, where he was living with like his wife or girlfriend and their child. He kidnapped her from there. She even, he like was ransoming, I can't remember exactly, so don't quote me on this, but he was like trying to get ransom from this girl's dad she was he was texting the dad he was keeping this girl's body in his shed in the backyard he lives with this his girlfriend or wife right and he ends up sending a picture to the dad of this girl's body but he tries to make it look like she's alive like he braids her hair because he's trying to get the dad to send him money. It's so oh my weird. Gosh. But he ends up fleeing Alaska. And he's like down in the United States. Kind of running from police. And then he ends up getting caught. But he killed a lot of people. Mm. And that girl in Alaska. Her name was Samantha Cohing. She's the one who was kidnapped from the coffee stand. It was just. He's like a really really weird serial killer and probably had a lot of victims because he didn't have a specific victim profile. And I guess before the early 2000s, some of his victims were children. It was only after his own child was born in the early 2000s that he decided to stop killing children and focus on adult victims. Oh, that's so sweet of him. Oh, yeah. Oh, my gosh. How nice of you to spare your child (laughs) from knowing that you killed children after you had them. Oh. I'm sure it was pretty traumatic for your child to find out you killed all these people regardless. Oh. And that it is weird because he does try to protect his kid a lot in this. Like, in his crimes, he, like, really tries to protect his kid from the information. It. It's just weird. People's moral compass, I guess. Yeah. (laughs) So after his arrest, police do work with Israel to identify some of his victims. So he's allowed to access NamUs, which is like a website, a site where you can like search for people who need to be named or identified. So on this site, he searched for 44 names. This is known to police as the NamUs 44, and police believe these are victims of Israel Keys throughout the United States. One of the names Israel searched was Alexis Patterson. So that's just super odd that he searched her name. And again, he traveled all over the United States killing people. So, could he be involved? Oh, this was who he searched? He himself, while accessing NamUs, searched 44 names, and police know them as the NamUs 44, and one of those names is Alexis Patterson. Did he, was he searching the people he killed? I think so. That's what the police believe. They believe these are 44 of his victims. Oh, So that's a very strange connection. And the thing is, is he didn't like confirm every single one of these victims. He was reluctant to give authorities information on all of the victims because he wanted to spare his child from finding out about specific crimes. So if he didn't want his child to know he killed this child, he obviously wasn't going to talk about that case. All right. I, I think I'm going with that theory. <laughs> I know it is. It is a pretty, it is like how, you know, how would he have searched her name? 
Yeah, how would he know? Yeah. So he ends up taking his own life in a jail cell using a razor blade while he was incarcerated in Anchorage, Alaska. So we may never know for sure, but it is a pretty good theory. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of where Alexis's case stands. There are a couple other theories. Um, this month, May of 2023, it marked 21 years since Alexis went missing. WISN reported that last year on the 20th anniversary, Ayanna Patterson, Alexis's mom, held an event where she spoke saying that she will continue to keep her daughter's memory alive. Okay, so that sounds like she probably does not think anymore that um, the girl from Ohio is her daughter since this was just last year. So she's probably, you know, Mm -hmm. accepted that that was not her daughter. Ayana says she remembers Alexis being a bubbly child who was happy and loved to have fun. The year before this, Alexis's stepdad, who had walked her to school, Laron, he had died of a suspected drug overdose alongside his wife, Michelle. Retired detective Steve Spingola stated, quote, I think one of the people that could have provided the key answers died yesterday. That's the bottom line. Everybody overwhelmingly in law enforcement has thought that Laron and Ayanna Patterson are involved in this case. The question is, what happened to Alexis? So this same detective had made other statements like, quote, that was the narrative since she went missing in 2002, and it's completely false. He never walked her to school that day. In fact, he never walked her to school, period. So... Uh. This officer thinks that Laron lied about walking Alexis to school that morning and dropping her off and that she actually never made it to school because he had something to do with it. So in 2019, Laron posted a roughly 10 minute video. He seems a little bit out of it, likely intoxicated or high, and he is corroborating some of Ayana's earlier statements. He talks about how men should have multiple women that he is selling to make money. Again, just doesn't sound like a good dude at all. Yeah, disgusting. It's just really weird. Yeah. That he would make this video saying that after Ayana said he is pimping out women. And they ended up breaking up, right? Like shortly after? Yeah, they did end up breaking up shortly after. So could he have had something to do with it? I don't know. But the Milwaukee police have offered a $10,000 reward for any information that leads to the whereabouts of Alexis Patterson. If you are in the Milwaukee area or you think you might know anything about this case, here are some distinguishing features of Alexis that may jog your memory. Alexis is an African-American female with black hair and brown eyes. She has a scar underneath her right eye and a bump on her left pinky finger. She has pierced ears and had sunflower earrings in when she went missing. She was three foot eight inches tall at the time of her disappearance, and she weighed about 42 pounds. On the day she went missing, Alexis was wearing two French braids that came into one ponytail. She was wearing a red nylon jacket with a hood. Gray stripes went down each sleeve. Her shirt was light purple or blue, and she was wearing jeans with blue and white Nike high top sneakers. Mayor Tom Barrett dedicated May 3rd to Alexis. 
It's known as Alexis Patterson Forget-Me-Not Day. On this date, public officials walk along the route that Alexis would have taken to school that morning, and they lay a wreath in her memory. If you have any information on the disappearance of Alexis Patterson, you can talk, contact the Milwaukee Police Department at 414-935-7401 or the Milwaukee Sheriff's Office at 414-278-4788. Thanks for listening. I research, write, host, and edit this show. Our co-host is Alicia Jenkins, and our palate cleanser is given by Charlie Waters. All our music was created by Jaden Schultz, who you can find on Instagram at In Pajamas Music. You can also find us, True Crime Exposed, on Instagram, Twitter, or TikTok. If you haven't already, it would be a huge help to our show if you left us a five-star written review. Hi, I'm Charlie. Charlie Waters, and I'm going to be giving you a palate cleanser about anteaters. Did you know anteaters are very big, and they have a huge face, and their tongue is a crazy long. My nanny co-host, Alicia, sent me a picture, and they're, they are huge, and they have a super, super long tongue. They are a weird animal. You should definitely Google them if you haven't seen one before. Bye. Have a great day. The organization I want to highlight today is the International Center for Missing and Exploited Children. I love their motto, which is one child missing, exploited, or abused is one too many. I wholeheartedly agree, and you guys know I am passionate about this subject. Children being abused and exploited is literally an epidemic. It's horrifying that our most innocent of our population is so preyed upon. So make sure you visit their website at icmec.org. You'll see when you go there that they say every child deserves a safe childhood. You can click their menu and find out more about them, what they do, the resources, and where you can donate. You can also get involved. So if you want to show your support for a great organization, this is one.